I wonder what question you would uh, immediately go to if I said, what's the big question of life? What's the biggest question? You're sitting around the campfire and you start talking about deep stuff. I imagine many of us would say, what is the meaning of life? Is that a fair thought? Not one. Not one person. Okay, we've got a few. What's the meaning of life? I mean, as kids, we we say, why? Why? It's like it's hardwired in us, this question to ascertain meaning. I don't know if you saw this on YouTube over the years, but there's an interesting video of a train here. Keep your eye on the lady in the pink. That's an express train, isn't it? If you miss the people, because I don't know what you can see at the back, but let's try it again now. See the people just wandering along? So I wonder if you could uh, use your imagination. Use your imagination. Compare going through an Indian city on that express train. Okay, you're going through an Indian city and you're in an air-conditioned express train and you're on the internet and you're responding to emails. Compare that with taking three or four days to wander through that same Indian city morning and lunchtime and afternoon and early evening and late into the evening and to stop roadside food stores and and, uh, have a curry and talk to locals and even accept the hospitality that someone's offered you and you go and actually stay the night over at their place. Which approach is most likely to produce the most meaningful experience? seems to me like many of us are racing through life like we're on that express train. Have you noticed that you could be at a church for three years, four years, maybe ten years? And upon reflection, you might realise, I don't know if I have too many meaningful relationships. Anyone experienced anything like that? You, can, you could be in a church, there's a few nights. We struggle sometimes to find the way into meaning. You can live your life missing out, missing out on what God has installed for us. Our souls crave meaning. We crave meaning and we comprehend meaning through these faculties that God has given us like sight and sound and taste and touch and smell and and even spirit. We process what we have experienced and then we draw from that meaning. Mark chapter 8 verse 36 has been a helpful verse as we have looked at this idea of the soul. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
Jesus, with all wisdom, complete and utter wisdom, said you can gain a whole lot of something and in reality have collected nothing and in the process lose your soul. Jesus said you can spend your life collecting, gathering up something that doesn't amount to anything and ultimately lose your soul. Them's sobering words, amen? Like, they're sobering words. The question is, is it possible to waste your life? And the answer is yes. We can lose the meaning of life. And uh, the challenging part is it just sort of happens slowly. And we can be in a church and still be plodding along without meaning. Uh, For the last time, to reiterate, as we've looked at this idea of the soul, we have seen the soul as a human being in a whole sense, including our spirit, which is made alive by faith in Christ. And it's very similar to our will at our core. And then our will is affecting our our mind and our emotions and our body and our social context. And all these things together make up the aroma that we leave on the planet. Our soul, our souls crave, as we've seen in this series, identity and satisfaction and safety and wholeness and love and stillness. The way that our soul is meant to function, I think, is beautifully articulated in the third chapter of Ephesians, verse 14 to 21. Let me read it quickly and just think about the soul and the way God has designed us. From verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power... Through his spirit, where? In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, it's coming out through the mind, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When I read that passage, I can't help but, if you had that um, concentric circles there, I think it's, yeah, that one. That picture of the, the will being the heart, if you were to take that image and flip it, like that. I love the thought that Ephesians is telling us God pours out his grace and love into our heart and what would the water of like a, a liquid analogy of his love, what would it do? It would spill out in our heart affecting our will and Romans 12 says that we should renew our minds And as our minds are renewed in what is true coming out of our heart, the core of who we are, God's lavish blessing of his love for us, it would affect our mind and our emotions and it would affect our bodies. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And it would affect how we interact with our social context and then the world around us. To me, it's a beautiful picture of the way things are meant to be. God pouring himself out into our inner being and then that affecting all those around us. Now, that's meaningful. That's a meaningful existence. So what is wrong? So what is wrong? Well, let's consider a few things. I just want to throw out some ideas as we unpack the idea of the search for meaning in our souls. Why do many of us see all around us a lack of meaning? Why is it that the main answer, apart from an apocalyptic death wish, the main answer we see from wise people for the terrorism in the world is there is a generation who don't have enough meaning in their life and they're disaffected and they're ripe to be drawn into some apocalyptic cause. Is that a fair thing to say? There is a lack of meaning, a lack of awareness of meaning. But why? Why did we get to this place? Well, I I think in the West, here in in Sydney, busyness is a major factor. Why we lose meaning. When people become tools to use to achieve goals, meaning is lost. Yes? Yes? When we refuse to stop long enough to smell roses because of the busyness of our lives, meaning is lost. And the funny thing is, as I mentioned some of these things, I think many of us would go, yeah, that's probably true, but there's no way it could change because we're in the system. Look around. Aren't you a rat? Can't you feel the thing underneath? We're just running. We're on the... Now it takes guts to jump out of the rat race. It takes courage, intestinal fortitude to say, no, we are not going to do that. We are not going to play that same busy game. I think the role of drugs in our society is enormous in the loss of meaning for our souls. Drugs will never go away, will they? Why? Because they work. We have an absolute epidemic in, in, in our country with ice. Why are people taking ice? It is because of the loss of meaning in their souls. That's why you take ice. And then you become addicted. Alcohol, we have a huge issue of binge drinking with young people. The more someone drinks, the less capacity they have with their friends to engage in a meaningful way. Drugs bring the loss of meaning. What about religion? I think religion, routine, works-based Actions designed to please God erode meaning from our souls. As I just run through some of these, you think about your life. You think about it right now. Does your life feel like it's filled with meaning? And if it's not, maybe you could tick some of these boxes and say, yeah, yeah, I've got a secret drug problem, an alcohol problem that not many people know about. I'm talking generally. Maybe it's religion. Coming to church has just become some routine thing. Brokenness, hurts and unforgiveness that are not dealt with, that are not brought under the grace of God will inevitably erode meaning out of our lives. Idols, whenever, whenever we give our heart's affection to an idol, it will erode meaning from a human. Talk to uh, anyone who is in a relationship outside of marriage and uh, 
if they were to say that they got involved sexually, in sexual immorality, you will find a loss of meaning in that relationship. As soon as lust is allowed to become an idol, these two people stop talking. Amen? They stop, they stop interacting in a meaningful way. Laziness. A person who stops applying any rigour whatsoever to their life will ultimately lose meaning, monotony. You keep on doing the same thing over and over again. We lose meaning. Our our souls are designed to interact with the great triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And when you look at God, is God a fascinating being? Anybody. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cheeky even in saying that, but we just think about it. To actually know the living God, he is beyond fascinating. He has meaning. He is meaning personified, and he is there. That's Christianity, that we know God. But how is it that we lose this meaning? We were, um, a couple of years ago, going for a wander around Bondi at the Sculpture by the Sea. Has anyone been there, the Sculpture by the Sea? Lots of us. And you sort of wander along, and imagine the sea is out there, and this is the land, and the the sculptures are, are along here. So you tend to be wandering, walking looking back towards the land and you're looking at these uh, sculptures and you're sort of trying to work out they're a bit avant-garde and they're a bit you know, odd. Um, you're trying to work out what the meaning of these sculptures is. And uh, we're wandering along and I'm like, oh yeah, and I'm getting a bit confused trying to think, what was this artist trying to say? And I remember just a couple of years ago, I turned around this way and I looked down towards the sea and I saw this about square metre of rock and there was like some algae on the rock and there's some oyster um, shells there. And I suddenly was captivated with the wonder of this creative artistry in this one square metre of rock. And I thought there's this microscopic um, plankton in there and I I love the sea and I'm thinking of what all this is um, representing, the the artistry, the, the meaning that is laden in that one square meter and then of course I just sort of lift my eyes up and I literally felt my jaw drop as I saw the scope of the coastline and the colors the master used to put it and I went wow that's meaning that's meaning wow that's God that's your creative artistry it's everywhere that's the point I'm trying to make that we lose meaning but meaning is right there Jesus Jesus told us in Mark chapter 8, 31 to 37, a great way, I think, how to keep meaning in our lives, how to keep it. I wonder if you've ever done a high-low as a debrief. Anyone ever done that? Get a group together and give you a high-low. Let's talk about what the high was. Let's talk about what the low was. I want to suggest that the high-low can be a helpful way for us just to simply remember how to retain meaning in our lives. And I think we see it here from Mark chapter 8, verse 31. When you apply a high, the high for meaning, it's to stop and think, what's, what's the high view? What's the big picture of my life at the moment? What's the big picture of life? What is going on with perspective 
that would help me understand and get meaning for my life where I'm at. And then I'll talk about the low a little bit later on. But in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, we read, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I'm suggesting today that we all know that we have a desire in our souls for meaning, and I think we all know that it's hard to stay at a place where life seems meaningful. There's an effort involved. And so I'm trying to look at Jesus and think, what can we learn from him? So high, low. Can you imagine the levels of complexity that are accumulating on Jesus? He has been doing a host of miraculous things. He's fully human. He knows what it is to be pulled off track. But he keeps himself grounded in his destiny by not only telling his disciples about the big picture, but he's reminding himself. I reckon he's reminding himself right here about the high. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Do you feel that at all? The Lord Jesus is walking through life and he is fully human and he feels the pressure against him to lose meaning in his life as a human being. And what does he do? He's telling the story of the big picture. And I think he's reminding himself, the Son of Man. That's right. Who's the Son of Man? The Son of Man has a destiny. And he's going to suffer and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests. Yes, there is a destiny. There's a bigger picture. And when he's using this self-talk, he's saying, I think, stay the course. Jesus, you are the Son of Man. There is a bigger story here. There's a bigger perspective. You know, some of us are familiar with the title Son of Man. It's about as big as it gets. It's not, oh, Son of Man, I'm a human being. It's Son of Man, I'm divine. It's Son of Man, I, I'm the one. I'm the anointed Messiah. Let me read from Daniel 7. This is what Jesus is reminding himself of and his disciples in verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I think Jesus is allowing this high this high to give some perspective. He's drawing his disciples into this knowledge, this deeper, higher meaning. And he talks about the Son of Man will suffer for three days. 
I think he's reminding himself, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the three days. Yeah, the road to Moriah that Abraham went on to sacrifice Isaac. Yeah, three days. Remember it, Jesus, because you're going to lose meaning if you don't stay this course. Remember, how long was Jonah in the belly of the fish? Three days. Yeah, there is a three-day calling that's coming upon me. It's coming on me. There's a bigger picture here. I'm not going to lose it because other human beings lose it. They don't understand. They don't get it. Adam and Eve lost it like that when God said, here, here's a world to steward. They went, ah, uh, where's the fruit? This is how we keep meaning. We get the high. We get the big picture. In contrast, Peter had, has already lost the plot. He's missed the meaning. The passage says, Peter took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him. He starts rebuking Jesus. But when Jesus turned and, and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. And what does he say? You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You've lost meaning. You've lost the big picture. You've lost perspective. Isn't it true that the devil will nearly always lead us to immediate gratification to get us off track. Anyone found that? Beware the desire for immediacy in the gratification of our desires. Our souls nearly always lose meaning when we take the easy path and are fed a, a diet of immediate gratification. Peter was enjoying this roller coaster. He's enjoying the fame, it would seem, the upward mobility, hanging around with Messiah, the coming king. Jesus knew that God's big picture involved a cross. And it would be through the cross that meaning and salvation was found. We are living in a dangerously immediate culture, aren't we? People uh, often are proud to say, live for the now. Live for the now. Live for the moment. It's not likely. That's it, different to living to the, the fullness of your humanity, to glorify God in every moment. But when we live for the now, as we, which is just the spirit of the age, it, it's just a crash course, I think, for a loss of meaning. So I think we need to get high regularly, get to that place where we can see the big picture of our lives. God is establishing his church. That's the big picture. He is establishing a church to do the works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. This passage here in Ephesians 3, is, uh, it's, uh, it's just so epic for the high view. I just want to read it. It's verse verse 3 from chapter 3 of Ephesians. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Sounds like a meaningful statement about to be made. This mystery is that through the gospel, 
the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. This is it. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. The high view of our lives is that God has determined before the world began that he would use the church to make known the mystery of his will to the world. We are part of that as the church. That is the greatest way that we can find meaning to actually understand there is a bigger call. So when church feels like it's, it's that normal thing that you go along to and it's you know, maybe a bit boring and you know, it, it's like just sort of happens and you wander along to some bureaucratic process like we might have today at the AGM and you sort of wander through, I want to encourage you in the name of Jesus, it's bigger than that. We're part of something that is wonderfully spiritual and God-ordained, the church. High gives you perspective. What's the low? I think low gives you the proximity to the action. High gives you how he did it. Low gives you how we'll do it. The high gives you the wide-angle view. The low gives you the close-up. The high gives you the state of the game. We know that God's going to win. Jesus wins in the end. The low gives you but it's going to require skin in the game on our part. So what's the low? Well, back to Mark chapter 8. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake... And the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The high view of the meaning of life is that God is in control. He has a plan. He's leading us to a place where Jesus will reign forever on a new earth. The low view of meaning is that we've all got a cross that we need to carry. That's the, that's the skin in the game part. That the way we get to that end is the church walks in the strange cruciform calling which has always been given to the servant of God. That we die. That's a little sobering, isn't it? Just to be reminded that meaning in life is in the shape of a cross. Meaning in life, in our life, looks like the shape of a cross. This is the mystery that Jesus dies on a cross and he says, you also will carry a cross, whether it's the first disciples or, or even us today. 
As it's been said beautifully, a person is no fool to give up that which they could never keep to gain that which they can never lose. Soul meaning is found in giving our lives away. That's it. That's meaning. We need a big perspective. We need to remember that Jesus is Jesus, that God is God, that we have the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that the church is bigger than often what seems to be somewhat low-grade. We need those big perspectives, but we also need the, the right up, dirt in the fingernails, understanding that meaning comes through giving our life away. Meaning in our soul comes through giving our lives away. Have you found that? Have you found that? Meaning is found in giving our lives away. Some of us here today do not have meaning in our souls. Life is not treating you well. You feel bad about life. You're sitting here right now today and life doesn't feel meaningful. I want to encourage you in Jesus' name. He wins and he wants you to be part of it and it'll cost you. You need to get involved in what the church is doing. Universal. You need to get involved in what God is doing. Give your life away and you'll find meaning. It's simple. Look into the next eyeballs you look into and see a soul of infinite worth and see if you can love them. Find a way to get in the game. Soul meaning is found not by stroking our ego or licking our wounds, but in giving our life away and honouring Jesus. When I was a a teenager, I looked up to a bloke who was 10 years older than me. He went to a a school about three kilometres, four kilometres away from where I went to school and he was a musician. I was a musician and we had this dream to come from the same area and emulate what they did. They were a band that went really well. I don't know if anyone remembers In Excess. Does anyone remember In Excess? Michael Hutchins, they were down the road at Davidson High. We were at Forest High. And when, when I was leaving school, we were in a band and we were going to be the next In Excess. And I thought, wow, Michael Hutchins, he's a really cool guy. Look at him. Great musician. He goes to the top of the world he's a, as a pop star. And when he's 37 years old, he gains the world but gets nothing in the end. I don't know if he lost his soul, but he lost his life. When whatever he allowed himself to get into in that place of depression and a loss of meaning, when you've got everything around you but it doesn't give you meaning, it doesn't give you meaning. And he took his life. And everyone shakes their heads and goes, wow, how did that happen? And later on, the girlfriend he had takes her life. Drugs will steal meaning from the richest people with everything that lots of us are chasing after. My mate I had lunch with this week, he said, yeah, I remember when my dad was 40 and he just paid off his house and he had his second house and he looked at me and said, what do I do now? I'm 40. And then God grabbed hold of him and he basically evangelized every day for the next 30 years. He's a nutter, crazy evangelist, because he realized life has no meaning unless I have a bigger calling that's bigger than me getting my stuff. Have you got past that immaturity yet? You might be 80 and still rank immature, because you're chasing after stuff for yourself, where meaning is found by honoring Jesus and giving your life away for others. Amen? May we be a church filled with people 
who know what meaning is. Our souls crave meaning. You know when people walk into this church, I think some of us want the church to grow. I don't think people will stay if they come in and go, yeah, I don't see a lot of meaning in their souls. But it doesn't take many conversations with a group of people to realise that group, like, they're real. They're the real deal. They've got something. It's like they know God. It's like their lives count. Whether they've got money or not, whether they've got success or not, whether their name means something to the world or not, these guys seem to have a depth of meaning in their souls. That's what we need. Because that's God's plan for the church. Read Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is there. He knows everything. He knows meaning. He has wisdom. He says, by the way, just read this, guys, for the next few thousand years. They're called the Beatitudes. You want to know who's happy? You want to know who's blessed? You want to know who's more than happy? The lame, the blind, the poor, the outcast, the persecuted. What makes them happy is they found meaning for their soul because they found me. If you know the king of the kingdom, the kingdom will come and you find meaning. Your soul has an identity shaped before the world began. Your soul has been made to know satisfaction in God. Your soul has been designed to know safety. Your soul has been designed to know wholeness. Your soul has been designed to know love. Your soul has been designed to know stillness. And your soul has been designed to know meaning. The next time you get a chance to travel through India, take the rickshaw. Take the rickshaw. Lord God, we thank you for the way you have designed us. We, we, we know that uh, the world won't give us what we need. It's clear to us. Would you forgive us, Lord, when we go back? Like a dog returns to its vomit, we, we have problems with memory, Lord. We go back to stuff that gave us no meaning the first time. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you continue to graciously draw us back? Would you draw us back as a church? that we might be protected from spending our time on stuff that is meaningless? Would you draw us as a church towards a truly meaningful future? We want to be heralds of the gospel in word and deed. We want to be ambassadors of Christ who live meaningful lives. We want to treat people as integrated spiritual beings who have physical lives and emotional needs and relational needs. Lord, we just want to be a, a good, solid church who minister the gospel effectively. Would you come and have your way in us? I pray especially for those who are really down. They've had a hard run for a while. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would let them know that you love them and know their identity. You see them, not as a number, but as a person. And you know them. He knows you. Why don't you confess your sin, the stuff that you've been chasing after, and just run to Jesus. Go back to Jesus, the heart of worship. Go back to Jesus. 
Lord, it is true as we sing this old hymn. When we look at the cross, it's a mystery to us. It causes us to worship. Sometimes we feel afraid of what cross you might have for us to carry. But we're filled with a joy that brings a peace. Because we know you did. You went on the cross and you rose again. The resurrection's on the other side of suffering. And in Christ, we who suffer will rise again in this life and in the next. Were everything ours, all the whole realm of nature ours, all that we could gather ours, it would be nothing compared to your glory and your place in us. Let's stand together and sing.